I want to talk today in our time together about where is your heart today? It is a possibility, a distinct possibility, that today you are good-hearted. Okay? It is also a possibility that you are not good-hearted today. Both those possibilities exist for every single one of us. You can be good-hearted right now where you're sitting and and where you're at, or you can also be not in a good place, and you can be uh, bad-hearted right now. We all want to be good-hearted, right? I don't think we would be here this morning. You wouldn't have found your way into the theater at Gabrielino High School unless you wanted to be good-hearted. I think that's a pretty safe assumption for every single one of us. None of us get up in the morning and say, you know, my goal for today is to be bad-hearted. No one thinks that way. Now, we get there sometimes, don't we? You know, at the end of the day, you look back on your day, sometimes you're like, wow, uh, that wasn't very good. But none of us really have that as a goal. We want to be good-hearted, but I think we have to... uh, we have to look at this idea that the possibility is there for both. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 8, this is, of course, at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This first put apart here is called the Beatitudes. And one of the attitudes he mentions is being good at uh, pure heart. In uh, verse 8, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So the possibility is there. Jesus says, You can be good hearted. And he gives that blessing. Now look over to uh, the book of Mark, chapter 7. Because we have to look at both sides of this. The possibility is also there that you're not good-hearted. And we have to look at both possibilities. And the realization that maybe we, we are both at different times in our life. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus is uh, talking to some of the local people there. And He gets into a discussion with them that leads to a discussion about the heart. Beginning in verse 1, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of His disciples eating food with hands that were, quote, unclean, that is, unwashed. And then you notice in verse 3, there's a parenthesis there, just an explanation. It says, The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? So Jesus is in a place there and He's having this discussion with these religious leaders and they're very concerned that, that His disciples haven't followed their tradition. And their tradition, maybe even a good tradition, is to wash your hands before you eat. You know, perhaps your mother told you that too. That, you know, not a bad idea to wash your hands before you eat. But they had taken what was a good tradition and they had imposed it as the will of God. In other words, this was not just a good idea now. This was if you didn't do it, you were wrong. Before God. And so they had sort of amplified their opinion to actually be the will of God. And they're, they're confronting Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, what's wrong with your disciples here? Your followers, they're not following our tradition. Now look what he says in verse 6. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, 
These people honor Me with their lips, but their hearts are far from Me. They worship Me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. So Jesus here quotes Isaiah, and He says, you know, these people are trying to do right, but their hearts aren't really there. Their hearts are not right. And so the possibility there is for both you and me today that we can be good-hearted or we can be bad-hearted. We want to be good-hearted. So I'm going to spend the majority of our time here studying out what do you need to do? What do I need to do? How do we need to go into life? Because we know that situations of life can sort of get us from being good-hearted to bad-hearted almost any day of our life. Yeah. You ever gotten up in the morning and, and you say, you know, it's going to be a good day. Fired up. Yeah. And you know, it sometimes isn't 15 minutes. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you've gone from being good-hearted, good-spirited, it's going to be a great day, and all of a sudden, you're in a bad place. Yeah. You know, sometimes our husband, uh, our wife, sometimes our children, uh, sometimes the news, sometimes our parents. Right, kids? Yeah. <laughs> You get up to it, be a great day, and then you have you know a go at it with mom, and then all of a sudden it went from being a good day to a bad day. But we're going to talk about study about it in the Bible. Okay, what do we need to do to not only get a good heart, but stay in a good place to have a good heart? And they're all going to be things related to yourself. The first point is going to be humble yourself. The second point is going to be surround yourself, and the third point is going to be to guard yourself. Let's talk first of all about humbling yourself. We're going to Psalm fifty-one. Psalm 51, humble yourself. And this psalm uh, uh, is uh, David talking about, uh, or actually dealing with his own life after he has been confronted with sin in his life. And he says a variety of different things, and we're going to pick it up in Psalm 51, verse 10. In this psalm, this prayer, he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Humble yourself. David humbles himself... He admits that he is not where he needs to be. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Well, what's the implication? If he's praying to God that he wants God to create a pure heart within him, how does what, what how does he know where he's at? His current condition is what? It's not good. It's not pure. It's not right. You know, this is a great place to start. Many times, we don't get to being good-hearted because we won't admit to ourselves. We won't admit to God. We won't admit to anybody else that we're not where we need to be. The truth of the matter is obvious to everybody. (coughs) There are times in all of our lives where we are not where we need to be. You know that in your heart of hearts. But man, to admit it, sometimes is almost unthinkable. You know, and if someone maybe even suggests to you, you know, hey, it looks like you're, you're not having a good day. You're not... Fine, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm doing fine! <laughs> and you know, and people just sort of slink away from you, you know. <laughs> Whoa, we're really cranking today, aren't we? You know, and, and you just sort of go on because you realize, you know, there's no real need here to, to try to deal with this person. They're just so proud at the moment that they're not going to admit what everybody in the room knows, you know, anyway, that they're not really where they need to be. But there's times in your life you have to humble yourself before God. 
God, create in me a pure heart. I know I'm not where I need to be. And we're going to talk in point two here about our relationship with people. We can talk about admitting it to people and maybe that's a whole other issue. But to, to humble yourself. To take a pause. To realize, hey, I, I'm, I'm going in a bad direction here. God, help me be what I need to be right now. I'm losing it. You ever lose it in life? <laughs> you can just feel it going away. You can feel the anger rising up in your gut at your situation that you're dealing with in life at that time. And that good, pure heart, that tender spirit that you had is going away. So you have to humble yourself and you have to ask God to give you that good heart. Now, interestingly enough, it's not just humble yourself before God. Sometimes it is humbling yourself before people. Look over to Acts chapter 8. We see a situation here where a guy becomes a Christian. And then not long after becoming a Christian, he makes a huge, huge mistake. Acts chapter 8. And we're going to pick it up in verse 18. You guys moving on over there? Acts 8. Some of you didn't bring your Bible with you. You know, you're using your neighbor's Bible. That's okay. That's okay. Remember to bring it next time. Acts 8, verse 18. Now this guy Simon has just become a Christian. We can look back a little earlier there in verse 13. It says, Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So he, he became a Christian. He's just gotten his life right before God. Now the apostles come and they have the ability to give the Holy Spirit to people by laying their hands on them. And they do that. Then in verse 18 it says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And he said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon is a young Christian. And he sees the apostles do this very showy kind of thing. Now he's he's sort of an entertainer himself. And he sees this, and he's got a lot of money. Uh, you know, not unlike some entertainers. Now, some entertainers don't have a lot of money. They, uh, they, they work at restaurants as waiters, you know, and that kind of thing. And we all know that living in, uh, in Hollywood or in, in the area where a lot of films and, and TV is made. But this guy was successful. He had a lot of money. And he sees this and he offers them money. He says, hey, I will pay you a lot of money if you will give me this ability so I can do this too. I think this is really great. I can really pack the room out if I can do that. That's what he's thinking. Look at what Peter says in verse 20. Peter answered, May your money perish with you. Well, I'll bet that was encouraging. (laughs) Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Now, isn't that interesting? Peter could actually make the judgment that his heart wasn't right Based upon his behavior. You know, sometimes in life, our behavior is so obvious that everybody around us can tell what's going on. 
Everybody around us can see. You're not doing well spiritually. You're not where you need to be spiritually at that particular time. This is not an eternal judgment on you. But at this moment, you're not acting very good. And I can tell your heart is not right. Now, some of us, we, we go off the road right here. We say, well, how could you judge my heart? Well, by the way, you're acting. I can connect the dots. Bad heart, bad behavior. You understand what I'm saying? Now, sometimes we need to back off the you know people judging you thing and realize if someone that you know and, and, and basically you know and you trust them, and if they suggest to you that you're not acting right, they probably just didn't get up in the morning and say, you know, I'm going to go confront her on this even though nothing's bad happening in her life. That's what I want to do today. I want to go confront someone that they're doing something wrong when they're really not. Really? If someone loves you enough to say, hey, you know, you, you need to cool it, probably they're right. And probably they're looking at how you're behaving and they're saying, I can tell something's right, not right with, with, with where you're at right now. And that's what Peter says to him. I, I can tell, I can see that your heart is not right before God. He goes on in verse 22 to say, Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps He'll forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you're full of bitterness and a captive to sin. So we have to understand here in this humble yourself thing, sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's that we need to humble ourselves before God. But look what Simon does here in verse 24. So Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me. Sometimes we need to ask for prayer. Will you pray for me? Because right now, I am so angry at this moment, I can't even pray. You ever been there? I'm so upset at this moment. I know I'm not where I need to be. Thanks for pointing it out. Pray for me. Because right now, I want to do something I shouldn't do. I want to say something I shouldn't say. Pray for me. But see, that's humbling yourself too. It is to admit to somebody, I need you to pray for me so that I can get my heart where it needs to be. Okay, let's go on here because we're sort of talking about it anyway. And, and leave humble yourself and go to surround yourself with people who will help. Look over to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. The people that you have around you are crucial as to whether you're going to be good hearted or not. That's the truth. That, that's just the truth. The people that you have around you, the people you surround yourself with, are crucial as to whether you're going to be good-hearted or be bad-hearted. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 10, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. See to it. See to it what? That no one is bad-hearted. That they have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. It's actually a, This is a passage that challenges every single one of us that, that, that we need to get involved in each other's lives. See to it, brothers, that no one gets to this place. Our brothers and sisters. Make sure no one gets here. But encourage one another daily. This is one of the daily verses in the Bible. Daily. What does daily mean? Every day. That means daily. 
Sometimes you've got to be a theologian to misunderstand the passage of Scripture. Daily means daily. It means every day. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Surround yourself with people who are going to be able to help you to be good-hearted. And they're going to be able to do that in your life primarily by encouraging you. I need encouragement. You need encouragement. Life is hard. In every one of our lives, on a daily basis, our security, our confidence is attacked. If it's not somebody meaning to say something hateful to you, it's somebody doing it that didn't really mean to, but did it anyway. We are constantly being torn down. We are constantly being minimized in life. That's just life. It's not your life. It's not my life. It's all of our lives. We live in a fallen world. We, we live in a world that, that, that is sometimes hateful. It is sometimes bitter and cruel. Whether people mean to or not. It is. And so we need to encourage each other. Now I want you to think for a minute, and I want you to think about the place where you live, your home, uh, and, and in some of your apartments, or, 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 or uh, circumstances that your children live with your parents, your parents living with children, your, your uh, uh, singles living in apartments together, you know, uh, uh, whatever, young marriage uh, living in an apartment together. What can you do on a consistent basis to encourage the people that you live with. A lot of you taking notes. I like that when you take notes in a sermon. That's good. Because you're, you're trying to focus. I understand that. And, and you're trying to pay attention. Get something out of it. This is a point in time where you should be writing something down. What can I do to be encouraging in the living environment that I live in? What can I do? One of the things I learned from Reese Neeland, uh, one of the other ministers in our, in our ministry years ago, is to clean the kitchen. And, and Reese, Reese was doing that for Mary Kay, and I thought, that's a great idea. And so I thought, I can do that. I can do dishes. It doesn't take a lot of skill to do dishes. I can do that. And you know what? I, I try almost every single day to clean the kitchen in, in our house. And, and, and Chris has gotten used to it. It's, it's a pattern now. She messes it up and I clean it up. And, uh, and, and that's true. Uh, you know, Karina, where's Karina? She's here somewhere. Karina, can, she, she lives with us. She can, I, I, that's true. She messes it up, I clean it up. Now, it's not encouraging to me that she messes it up, but it's encouraging to her that I clean it up. You understand what I'm saying? That, that, that's just one thing. Um, living with people, you say nice things to them. You look nice today. How hard is that? You look nice today. Like what you got on today. It matches. Amen. You got to fake it sometimes. You know, you don't really know. 
You're, some of the guys, we don't know. We're just guessing. Hey, it looks great. Amen. You on purpose. This is on purpose. This is not, this is not it just happened by accident. You are on purpose saying something. Encouraging to someone. You look nice. This was nice. You did a good job here. Nice meal. Now sometimes, you know, you can't just out and out lie. There are times when Chris will make something. And she'll say, what would you think? And you know, I don't want to say it. It's not very good. And so what I say is I say, well, I wouldn't want a steady diet of it. And that, that gets the message across. Check that, 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 that menu item off. We're not going to have that again. At least don't have it when Marty's at home. You know, have it some other time. That, that kind of thing. In the environment that you live, are you writing something down? What do you need to be a source of encouragement? Because the people you live with need your encouragement. I need the encouragement of people that I live with. I don't want to live in an environment where I feel like I'm being torn down. I don't want to live in an environment where I feel like people are discouraging me. I get enough of that outside of the house. Outside of the house, I realize I'm in the world. I'm in Satan's domain. I get that. It's rough out there. People are going to say hateful, cruel things. Sometimes accidentally, sometimes on purpose. But I'm telling you, there ought to be like when we walk into our home, it's like that there's been a circle drawn. This is a small part of heaven in the midst of hell. And we make it that way by saying on purpose things that are encouraging to one another. We need to be encouraged on a consistent basis. It is not an admission of weakness that you need to be encouraged. Any more than it's an admission of weakness that you need to eat. Why do you eat? Well, some of us eat because we like to eat. But we should eat. We should eat primarily because it fuels our body. It keeps us alive. It, it keeps our, our, our body functioning in the right kind of a way. It's not an admission of weakness that you need to drink water and that you need to eat meals. It's an admission of the obvious. Everybody needs to drink water. Everybody needs to eat a meal. Everybody needs encouragement. In our homes, the places where we live should be places of tremendous encouragement. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we find the exact opposite of encouragement and how good relationships can help us. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. This is a passage of Scripture It needs to ring in our ears because we all have choices in our life about who we surround ourselves with and who we have as our friends. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Do not be misled. Don't be faked out. Bad company corrupts good character. All of us have choices in life. God made us as free moral agents. We choose. God gave us the ability to choose. We choose who our key relationships in life are. For the single people in this room, those of you who are not married, you had better give a lot of consideration to who you date. Who you go out on dates with. Who you perhaps might get into any kind of serious relationship with. 
Bad company corrupts good character. That's not a truth for you. It's a truth for all of us. Character gets stronger with age. Now listen to me. Physical attributes don't age well. Well, I'm dating him because he's cute. I'm suggesting by 45, he ain't going to be cute. Cute is gone. Why? I, I like her because she's cute. Well, same thing. Character gets stronger with age. Character gets better with age. Physical attributes don't. They atrophy and they die. Gravity rips them up. (laughs) As my good friend Tom McCurry says, you you get uh, furniture disease. Your chest moves to your drawers. <laughs> Write that one down. <laughs> you surround yourself. How, how, how do you have a good heart? How do you keep a good heart? You surround yourself with the right kind of people. That's why it's so crucial that we come to church. Some of you are real sloppy about whether you feel like you need to be at the meetings of the body. Well, it's not that big of a deal. No, it's a real big deal. It's a real big deal because you need to be encouraged and I need to be encouraged. That's why we need the meetings of the body. Now, we don't need to meet every day all the time. I get that. But you know, if you look at the total amount of hours in the week and the amount of hours that we spend together as a church... It's not really that much. You spend an overwhelming more amount of time in the world than you do in the comforts and the, and the protection to some degree of the church. What if your attitude toward your job was what your attitude toward attendance to church was? Well, if I feel like going, I'll go. Oh, good. How long would you have your job if you went when you felt like going? What would your employer's attitude be about you if you if you went to work and worked when you felt like it? I'm telling you, your employer wouldn't wouldn't have much of a good attitude about you. I'm I'm even thinking you wouldn't work there very long because your employer would say, "We can't run a business like this. We can't have that kind of attitude. We can't have that kind of heart." What would your husband, what would your wife think about you? Well, I'm going to cook a meal when I feel like it. I'm going to clean the house when I feel like it. I'm going to bring the check home when I feel like it. Really? Is feeling the determinant factor of why you do the important things in your life are convictions? And just so I'm on the topic... And I'm feeling inspired at the moment. Man, a lot of you guys were really late this morning. You do that at work? 
Really? You come in 15, 20 minutes at work? Late? Really? I bet you don't. I bet you realize this is a professional responsibility and I need to have a professional attitude. My boss expects me to be at work on time or early. But we have somehow a lackadaisical attitude about our responsibilities with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Guys, we've got to surround ourselves. You see, you humble yourself, number one. But number two, you've got to surround yourself with the right kind of people to help your heart be what it needs to be. And the third thing here is guard yourself. Man, if you don't know this passage, I'm hoping that you'll know it after today. Proverbs 4 and verse 23. This is a great passage of Scripture to put to memory. We should memorize some Scriptures. You can't memorize the whole Bible. But there should be favorite Scriptures that we have, right? That that are ones that we, we memorize because they're very important to us. I'm suggesting that this is one of those. Proverbs 4.23 Above all else. Boy, there's an emphasis there, isn't it? Above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. Do what you need to do to keep yourself good-hearted. Guard it. It's valuable. Some things in life aren't all that valuable. You know, the other day we were getting out of uh, our van, Rosie. Everybody knows about Rosie in the church here. If you're visiting with us, you know about Rosie. But Rosie's a 1996 Ford Windstar that's rose-colored. It's sort of pink and sort of purple. and uh, It's ugly. It's a, it's, a, it's a color that a, a normal person would never, ever drive. And certainly not a man. Uh, but but uh, we were getting out of the car and, and, and Karina said, Are you going to lock it? Lock it. I may leave the keys in it. <laughs> Look around this parking lot. If you're going to come in this parking lot and steal a car, you're going to look at this one? Are you kidding me? There's some, there's some things all of us have in life. They're not worth much. They're not all that valuable. But you know what? There's other things in life that we all have that are incredibly valuable. And we realize their value. We realize, hey, no, you're not just going to walk. No, you can't have that. That's, that's important to me. That's valuable to me. Guard your heart. What do you have? What could you possibly have that's more valuable to you than your heart? You have nothing that's more valuable to you than your heart. Guard your heart. Because it is the wellspring of life. Possibility today, guys, you've got to admit it. Possibility you're good hearted. It's possibility you're not. I don't know where you're at. You may not even totally know where you're at because the heart can be deceitful. Sometimes, you know, we think we're we're at one place and we're really at another. But for most of us, we have a pretty good idea where we're at. We have a pretty good idea whether we're doing good or whether we're not at this particular moment. I urge you today, be the good-hearted person. Humble yourself. Surround yourself. Guard yourself. Let's walk out of here good-hearted people. Amen? Amen.
Let's go ahead and stand. We have a closing song.